Welcome to Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Now he's going to stumble up and he's going to be sacked. Darius Leonard's going to bring him down. Keep it way downfield for Zach Pascal. Touchdown! We're talking Colts and recapping the action. Way downfield for Jack Doyle. He's got it! Touchdown! Comes back 10, 5, touchdown! Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor, touchdown! I-N-D-Y! Now here's the voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor. Live from the Power Home Solar Radio Studio. Good evening and welcome to Colts Roundtable Live tonight, presented by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. I'm Matt Taylor. Welcome in. And we're back tonight talking Colts football and also breaking down the season to this point. And after three games, the Colts, unfortunately, are winless and off to their worst start record-wise since 2011. The Colts fell to the Titans on Sunday, 25-16. Tennessee improved to 2-1, and and the defending AFC South champions have that head-to-head win over the Colts. The Colts are tied for third place in the AFC South with the Jaguars through three games, and the cold reality is only four teams since 1980 who started the season 0-3 went on to make the playoffs the same year. As it relates to Sunday, the Colts had a hard time finishing off drives, making plays in the red zone on both sides of the ball, and they had some costly penalties as well. Carson Wentz started the game despite playing on those two compromised ankles. He played less than 100% and gutted out a courageous performance. He finished the day 19 for 37, passing for 194 yards, but his mobility and ability to buy time was not the same as it was in the first two games of the season. He had completions of 27 and 36 to Zach Paschal and Naeem Hines, respectively, but the Colts once again had trouble in situational football They were just 3-for-12 on third down and 1-for-3 inside the red zone. And that brings the season total to just 4-for-11 inside the 20-yard line on the season. And of the 11 trips to the red area, six of them have been first-and-goal scenarios. And of those six, the Colts have just one touchdown on the season. The Colts' defense came away with three takeaways, including interceptions by Darius Leonard, Kenny Moore, and then also a fumble recovery by Rock Yassine. But that wasn't enough as the Colts allowed three touchdown passes and Derrick Henry ran for over 100 yards for the fourth straight game against the Colts. The Titans on offense, they were 6 of 12 on third down, and they scored three touchdowns on their five red zone trips. The Colts will once again have to regroup and evaluate the injury situation, leaving the game early on Sunday, where left guard Quentin Nelson with an ankle, defensive end Quiddy Pay with a hamstring, cornerback Rock Yassine with an ankle, and also starting safety Kari Willis left with a groin. The Colts also played Sunday without Braden Smith, who's missed the last two games with a foot. Up next for the Colts are the Miami Dolphins. They're 1-2 and two on the season, and they took the undefeated Las Vegas Raiders to the wire on Sunday before ultimately falling by three points in overtime, 31-28. We'll recap the game coming up in more detail with former Colts coach and radio color analyst Rick Venturi and former Colts offensive lineman Joe Wrights. And as always, we want to hear from you on the show. Your thoughts and uh, your questions are encouraged. Tweet them in tonight using hashtag Colts Roundtable. But in this first segment, as always, we visit with the head coach of the Colts, Frank Reich. It's always presented by Citizens Energy Group, and he joins us on the line now. Coach, just as we begin here, just the tone of the team after yesterday's loss and your message to the group as you reset again this week, trying to clean up the little things heading into week four. Yeah, I mean, we got to own where we are right now, and that that's where all you know, progress starts. You got to own who you are and where you're at at this point. So we're an 0-3 team that has a lot of confidence in who we have on this building, that we have the right players and coaches to get this thing turned around and get back on the right direction. 
and that starts this week with the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, quarterback Carson Wentz, he played with those ankle sprains, played very courageously. What did you think of the way he played and just the way that he fought through his pain in that game down in Nashville? Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, I have all the respect and admiration for him in the world for, you know, playing through it, getting himself ready, number one, and then gutting it out, you know, knowing, you know, that he was, uh, you know, not 100%. Um, so and as far as how he played, I thought he did a lot of good things, made some big-time plays. Um, hey, anytime we lose, I, I'm just going to say it about myself and about every guy on the team can be better. And Carson, you know, there were plays, I'm sure, you know, one or two throws that he missed and a couple plays that we missed. Um, but that could be said about all of us. Ken, I know you talked about this earlier, but how did he come out of the game in terms of health? I know he gutted it out, but how did he hold up and, and how long do you see his ankle issues lingering into the season? Yeah, all things considered, Matt, he came out pretty well. You know, he had a couple, aggra- you know, aggravations of it. One late that was a little bit worse than the others. But um, all things considered, not bad. We're definitely ahead of where we were last week, and I think we're heading in the right direction. All right. What kind of shift in terms of play calling and, and game planning on your end, and obviously Marcus Brady is a part of that as well as the offensive coordinator, but what kind of shift in mentality – going into the game and during the game did you have to have knowing that his mobility wasn't going to be 100 percent yeah i mean you know it was really just a focus on stuff that we could try to get out quick i mean as much as we could we were still going to try to take a couple shots um and you know and so that was going to be on incumbent on us so you know we wanted to run the ball efficiently which we did we just you know got in a position where we needed to call you know needed to have more plays and we couldn't convert on third down early in the game and so we ended up, you know, getting in a weird flow of the game. Um, so all things considered, you know, he did a good job with, with the hand that was, you know, that he was dealt as far as trying to get the ball out quicker, being limited in mobility and, uh, you know, trying to find plays to make. That's Frank Reich with us here on Colts Roundtable Live. You know, one of the highlights of the game on Sunday, the Colts offense really played well in the third quarter. You had that long drive to begin the half consisting of 17 plays. Uh, you ran 15 more plays than them in the period, but only outscoring them 3 to nothing in the third quarter. I know it doesn't sit well with you considering how good your team played to begin the second half. When you look back on the tape in the third quarter, the challenge – that it was inside the red zone against Tennessee on Sunday? Oh, I mean, you know, like you said, Matt, a 17-play drive. I mean, you know, there's not very many of those in the NFL. I mean, you got to finish that with a touchdown. And um, so that's where we got to be better. You know, I mean, that's that has been a struggle for us in these first three games, um, you know, down in the tight red zone in particular. Yep. And, you know, there's no excuses for that. we got to do a better job coaching and playing and find ways to get it in. All right, that's Colts head coach Frank Reich here on Colts Roundtable Live. If you have a question for him, we're going to start doing it now. You can tweet it in tonight and every Monday night on uh, Colts Roundtable Live. Use hashtag Colts Roundtable. Let's go to Sam. He's up first. And I know you talked about this with the media earlier today, uh, but he's asking, how did, how did you balance Wentz's health and doing what's best for him and the team versus trying to win an important AFC South game on the road? Yeah, I mean, I always rely on the docs. I mean, you know, hey, if you're cleared to play, you're playing. You know, you, A, are you, do the docs clear you to play? B, does the player, is the player mentally ready to play? And, you know, we checked both of those boxes. I mean, sure, he's not 100%, but the docs cleared him and Carson wanted to play. And so that that's what you do. No questions asked. All right, Chris is up next. 
Uh, he says, we ran the ball effectively, but went away from it inside the red zone. Was that just because of how many Titans were in the box close to the goal line? Um, no, that was, a, that was a couple other factors. One is we had a couple of throws down there that we absolutely loved mm-hmm. that thought gave us a chance. And, um, and so we called those and we didn't, you know, we didn't get those in. And so we still called one or two runs down there, but, um, yeah, that was essentially why, Matt. You know, we, we knew that we had um, a couple passes schemed up that we really liked, and those were going to be the first order of business, and especially we were first and goal at the nine. So, you know, I, I always kind of think, that's not 100%. I mean, I'll run it at the, you know, when you're first and goal at the 10 or nine, but um, that's a, that's almost the toughest position you are on the field, right? I mean, when, you're, uh, when you still have, uh, you know, when you're at the nine or 10-yard line. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right. Sean, up next, this is an update on T.Y. Hilton, which I know you gave to the media earlier today, but as far as our audience is concerned, this is a nice tie-in. Sean is asking, is T.Y. Hilton close to coming back? I know he can come off of IR this week, and how much would he help our offense if he does come back? Yeah, we're not quite there yet with T.Y., but I think we're getting close. He's making really good progress. All right, Rod, it seems like there's more of a focus to get Naeem Hines the ball more this year. How much would playing with two backs and the offense at the same time help free him up in the passing game? Yeah, I mean, we do that a little bit. We haven't done it as much this year, but it's really not the same dynamic um, when you do that. Um, That's the short story without getting into all the complicated X's and O's. um, That's usually not the answer. Um, And that's why you don't see a lot of teams who have somebody like Naheem um, do that. Um, So I, I think... Naheem is a special player. He's a really good player. I think as an offense, we've, you know, we've done a good job trying to get him the ball and knowing what the best ways to get him the ball are. So we'll continue to try to mix that up in little ways. All right, last one from the fans. It's from Mikey. From experience, when things are going well or not going well, coaches try to change up routines, practice schedules, etc. Everything gets looked at. Will you try to make any adjustments with your team this week to find a spark somewhere? Yeah, for sure. Everything gets looked at. And, um, you know, we, we do believe very much in our process. Um, that doesn't mean that we don't make little adaptations along the way. So, um, yes, all those things get all those things get examined. No stone gets unturned in the evaluation process week to week. But right now we're pretty committed to, you know, it's, you know, just we just got to keep refining what we're doing. Usually I can hear the echoes of Tony Dungy in these walls. You know, when you go through a rough stretch like this, it's more shrink your world, you know, do what you do, do it better, and that's the answer. And so I think that's still the philosophy. Indeed. All right, Coach. Lastly, Miami is up next. They were 10-6 and six last year, very competitive so far this year. They fell to the Raiders in overtime on Sunday, 31-28, to 28, and they will be quarterback next week by Jacoby Brissett, who you obviously know very well. What are your early week thoughts on seeing Jacoby again and the Dolphins heading into week four? Well, you know, obviously so much love and respect for Jacoby, and, you know, I didn't get to see the game, although I was following it on my phone, you know, coming back after our game and saw that he let him down at the end to put it in, you know, I mean, to put it into overtime and so on and so forth. So not surprising from Jacoby, um, you know, playing well. So looking forward to, you know, seeing him going up against him. Um, he's a, he's an excellent player. We know this is a very good team, like you said, um, a good team last year. So it'll be a good challenge. Um, they're, they're good on both sides of the ball. 
I think they're very well coached, and um, it'll be a good test for us on the road. No doubt about it. All right, Coach, thanks as always for the time here on Monday night, considering how busy your schedule is. Have a great week of prep, and uh, we'll talk to you on Friday leading into the game against the Dolphins. Thanks, Matt. That's our weekly talk with Frank Reich, and it's brought to you by Citizens Energy Group. Save at home on monthly bills. When you can serve water and energy for money-saving tips, visit citizensenergygroup.com. Again, you can join the show tonight. We encourage it. Tweet them in using hashtag Colts Roundtable with those questions. Former Colts coach Rick Venturi and former Colts offensive lineman Joe Wrights, they're going to join me starting on the next segment, recapping the game against the Titans with you until 7 o'clock tonight on Colts Roundtable Live. We're back in a moment here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Caesar Sportsbook, the sportsbook for the people. Download and get started with a risk-free bet of up to $5,000. Terms and conditions apply must be 21 years or older. We now return to Colts Roundtable Live. Once again, here's Matt Taylor from the Power Home Solar Radio Studio. We're back here on Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5. The fan tonight presented as always by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. It's also brought to you tonight by CBS4. News does not stop when you go to sleep. Get caught up with everything with Angela, Nick, Krista, and Rachel weekdays on CBS4 this morning. I'm Matt Taylor back again. And joining me now and for the rest of the show until 7 o'clock are the former Colts, former Colts coach and analyst on radio Rick Venturi and former Colts offensive lineman Joe Wrights. Those fellows are here now. And gentlemen, welcome. Rick, uh, how are you feeling after that road trip? Eight hours in the car with me. That's no easy task. So congratulations. Oh, we got it done. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I actually enjoyed that, and I made it at that 11 o'clock goal that I had. <laughs> Hit that damn driveway at 11 o'clock. There uh, you go. You know, I, absolutely. I I really really did enjoy it. Other than the uh, other than the game, I really enjoyed the periphery around it. Really, but I was, you know, I was disappointed. Obviously, in the game, it was uh, it was a tough one. As I said during the telecast to you, Tennessee was they were dominating the box score, but they really weren't dominating the scoreboard. And uh, you know, you were in it for a long time, but. You know, all the specialized situations, they dominated, the, you know, the third down, the red zone, which we're going to get into, they totally dominated. Uh, and then they really dominated the fourth quarter. And, you know, you're just not, you're not going to win if you can't do those things. Yeah, after further review coming up, we'll dissect a handful of uh, aspects of the loss on Sunday, Colts falling to the Titans. But, Joe, uh, we'll start with you. Just your overall thoughts of the game and just your major takeaways that have led to this point with the Colts starting the season 0-3. All right, first quick thought. If that's eight hours in a van that's down eight, and back, baby. Eight. Who's, who is driving and how fast were you going? Come on, is that Leadfoot Matt Taylor behind the so wheel or what? I was. I drove seven of the eight hours roughly, and I was averaging somewhere. I, I tried to cruise control around 75. I got up to about 80, 83. Well, Matt, Matt I, you're, I had to back it off a little bit in certain areas. I got a lead foot. Actually, actually Joe, we passed three sheriffs on the way down. Okay, but I think I think they saw that that Pacifica was a Colt Pacifica, and it was all in Indiana, and we got by with it. There you go. Well, Matt, you're for hire for a uh, maybe a Disney World spring break road trip. You can drive the Wrights family yeah. down. There you go. But but you know, overall thoughts on the game. I really felt like. The Colts were getting their identity there in the third quarter when they have that 17-play drive and they're running the ball and we're firing off. And then we go three and out and we get the roughing the punter, which I thought killed the momentum. But even then we got the ball back and had a couple good runs. And I really felt like it reminded me of that 
Kansas City Chiefs game where we were limited a little bit in the passing game because Wentz couldn't move, but we were just going to run it down their throat. And then, you know, unfortunately, we, we had a couple incompletions, punted the ball back, they scored. But I felt like the Colts were close to getting back to that identity. But as Rick said, just too little, too late. And the situational football really has just been a thorn in the Colts' side. I mean, when you're plus three turnover – that's a 90% plus win percentage historically. So bottom line, third down, red zone has to be better. And then I really thought the lack of a pass rush really showed up. We had two quarterback hits for the game, one sack. And on the sack, I went and rewatched the tape. They just didn't block Okereke, which, by the way, is that the right pronunciation? So it's, on yeah. the TV copy, they, yeah. were, they were messing with me there, Matt. So it, it's, uh, he, he has changed his pronunciation. There's a little bit of a backstory to this. I was going to get into this later in the week, but since you brought it up, it's, he's changed his pronunciation for his last name to Okereke, and he's honoring his uh, Nigerian descent. And it's just like anything else, you know, it just gets Americanized over time. And so wants to go back to it, honor those Nigerian roots. And so now it's it's Okereke. And so that's what we're going to go with uh, from here on out to honor Bobby Okereke and, quite frankly, get get his last name pronounced okay. correctly the well, way he I'm, wants it to be. He'll be he'll be number 58 to me till he starts. <laughs> yeah, playing. exactly. But bottom line, they, they did not block 58 on that play. Henry was supposed to come back, and he didn't go and scan for him. So really, the one sack that we got was a gift from Tennessee. We have to get a better pass rush because I thought initially some of those, especially third down key conversions, we had them covered up initially, but now three, four seconds pass. It's hard for those – cornerbacks to stick with the receivers that long and Tannehill was able to stand back there in the pocket uh, way too easy all right it's Joe Wright I'm Matt Taylor Rick Venturi is along as well and the Colts official podcast channel is available for you anytime podcasts radio shows press conferences player interviews it's all available on iTunes Spotify and anywhere else you download your podcast Colts.com and the Colts mobile app has it for you as well. All right, fellas, let's do it. Let's take a look at some of these specific areas that uh, led to the Colts losing in Tennessee. Let's go under the hood after further review. It's time to go under the hood. After further review. After reviewing the play. After reviewing the play. This is After Further Review, a part of Colts Roundtable Live. After further review here on Colts Roundtable Live, it's a close look back on uh, Sunday's game in a few key areas. Let's talk about situational football. It continues to be a problem for the Colts. They were just 3-for-12 on third down, bringing their total to just 13-for-36 on the season. That's only 36%. The Colts were just 1-for-3 inside the red zone against the Titans. They're now 4-for-11 on the season through three games. And, Rick, maybe the most frustrating thing Uh, for Colts fans and everybody involved is that the Colts have faced six first and goal situations and the Colts only have one touchdown in those scenarios. They've settled for three field goals, thrown a pick, and then turn it over on down. So the lack of scoring inside the red zone through three games, Rick, what's going on after further review? Yeah, and there's no question about it. You know, and I always, you know, I always knew after all those years of coaching that, you know, the red zone defines you. It defines you offensively and it defines you defensively. A lot of things can happen between the 20s, but it's how you play there. You know, and at this point, we're ranked 29th on offense and we're ranked 20th on defense. Um, I think the, you know, the problem, and, you know, we talk about it every week and we just don't seem to be able to fix it is, you know, I really think their identity is everything. In other words, guys have to have roles that they do over and over and over again 
both from a talent standpoint and from a play calling standpoint. Now you have to mask them. You're not going to run them the same way every week, but the problem when you get packed in and particularly when you're in the low red from the 10 in is that everybody's packed in there on the run and they're also packed in there on the pass. And so everything has to be precision. You have to execute. That's why you can't have a million things you're going to do because as I said, they're packed for the run and the windows are closed. So you've got to have your best guys getting separation, which we get very, very little uh, Pascal from the number three spot on that shave route. the only guy that ever gets daylight. Then you have to throw precisely with Carson didn't, uh, you know, I thought that he had Pittman coming over the middle, you know, and he missed that one, you know, and then you have to have plays that you consistently can run. Now I thought, and it's, it's a diversion, but I think it could be applied to the red zone. The one thing that we fixed this week is we got back to short yardage lineup, multiple tight ends, and we banged three short yardage situations, third and one and the fourth and one, and we looked like a real football team. And, and we're going to have to do some of that in the red zone. But in terms of the passing game, we have to establish exactly what we're going to do, and it has to be precise. And all 11 guys have to be precise there. And we're not. We're not even close. We're, you know, but I, we don't have any identity. <clears throat> I think Joe alluded to it as an offense, period. I mean, I don't know what we are. I mean, 16 runs. We run it better, but we run the ball 16 times. We throw 37 with a, with a quarterback that has worse legs than me in the game. So, you know, but it's, it's a lot about identity, but it's all execution down there. I agree, Coach. And I think when you look at third down, the Colts are 36% for the year, 22 in the league. When you look at red zone, we're 4 of 11, 29th in the league. And that we could just stop the show right there. But I did think yeah. our running game was a lot better last week. To your mm-hmm. point, Coach, in short yardage, fourth and one, boom, six yards. Fourth and one, boom, yep. six yards. We were more creative out in space, I thought, with doing some yep. different things. You know, I'm thinking about that. The Hines, you know, end around there for the touchdown. And I liked what we did there. But what I was uh, frustrated with is when it was first and goal on the nine on that 17-play drive, Taylor had hit two fourth and ones, and we had three straight incompletions in the red zone. And I feel like you got to find a way to get 28 the ball when he gets rolling. And I know it's a double-edged sword because Pittman was open, and if Wentz was, had brought that ball down about four inches, that's a touchdown, and you walk away, we're not talking about it. But I felt like – Taylor really got in a rhythm in the second half for the first time all year. But on the goal line, he didn't get a touch. And then after we got the ball back, you know, we have the roughing the punter. They go all the way down. We still get the turnover. And Taylor rips off two runs in a row. And then we had three straight passes again. So I think the playmakers, the lack of in the passing game has showed up because I thought our two best playmakers yesterday were Hines and Taylor. I think the lack of T.Y. Hilton, he's not the biggest body in the red zone. He doesn't give you that huge target. But he's so precise on his route running and commands attention. I think the lack of him has really showed up, especially it did yesterday in the red zone. So hopefully he's a guy we can get back soon. I thought we we lacked uh, calling feel yesterday. You know, and it, it's kind of surprising to me because going in, you knew that he was going to be immobile. You knew that they were going to blitz. They were going to run twist games because they were going to worry about him escaping. And we were, we were finding a running game. I, I totally agree to that. And the short yardage package looked good. I mean, Taylor did average 6.4. And so at the end of the day, you know, in a close game, really, to end up with 37 passes and 16 runs just doesn't fit. Yeah. 
That's Rick Venturi and Joe Wright. I'm Matt Taylor. We're here with you tonight until 7 o'clock on Colts Roundtable Live, but taking a look at after further review, moving on to segment two, if you will, in terms of this particular part of the show. Let's talk about Carson Wentz. You guys brought him up there momentarily. Started the game despite dealing with those two sprained ankles. The offense was limited due to his mobility, obviously. A scrambling factor that was prevalent in the first two weeks that just wasn't there. But his longest completions on the day were a 27-yard gain to Pascal and a 36-yard gain to Hines with some run after the catch in the fourth quarter. But outside of that, Joe, he averaged just 3.7 yards per attempt. So the Colts in week number three deciding that Carson Wentz, at whatever percentage of health-wise that he was, 70, 80, throwing it out there, just guesses on where he was in terms of health. Colts deciding that he still gave them the best chance to win a very important game in the AFC South on the road at, at quarterback. After further review, what do you make of the decision and the way that he played on Sunday? Well, the decision, I think the Colts felt and Carson felt they gave him the best chance to win the ball game. That's why you're putting him out there. And credit to Carson because he battled, and you could tell he was not feeling well. But I got a lot of respect for him and his toughness playing in that ball game. But the negative of him being in there and not being mobile, as you saw it as the game went on, Tennessee had no reason to, and they weren't disciplined in their rush lanes. So they could have everybody running up the middle of the pocket. Coach mentioned they're running twist games and a lot of different pressures. Those are hard for an offensive lineman to pick up. In a normal Carson Wentz, they bring four guys on the inside. He's scooching around the outside and running for 20 like Tannehill did to us. But because he was somewhat of a sitting duck back there, they continued to get more undisciplined in the rush lanes, and that's harder as an offensive line to block. And I felt like they really took advantage of that. The other thing I felt was the screen game. You know, a couple of those plays, if he was able to extend it a little bit more. We had two huge screens set up. We had a big one to Taylor that only got a few yards in that middle screen where Simmons kind of ran into him unexpectedly because, again, he got outside of his rush lane. That was going to be a huge gainer on a middle screen. If you remember that play, we were going to fake the wide receiver screen and set it up, and unfortunately, Simmons just ran into him. So I felt like as the game went on, it got harder and harder to block those guys because there was no threat of Carson. The other thing that hurts your run game because on those outside zones, you know the boot threat isn't there for Carson to either run it or throw it down the field. So definitely was a disadvantage for the Colts. But go back to Carson, got a lot of respect for him and the toughness he showed gritting that one out because you could tell he was uh, not even close to 100%. Yeah, Matt, I, I would have started him, uh, and I would have started him for two reasons. Um, well, I guess three reasons. One, I agree with Joe, and I, and I know that they felt like he was the best. He gave you the best chance to win. That's, that's overwhelming, number one. But there were two reasons I would have also started him. I would have started him because I think his posting up to start after that tough week uh, was a very psychological lift for the whole team, offense and defense. And I think number three, you, it's kind of a Willis Reed moment. It's one of those things that you gain the respect of your teammates forever and ever for that kind of grittiness. Trust me, that's never going to be forgotten by that team, regardless of what the outcome was. Um, I would have probably been ready, though, and I would have thought about it ahead of time uh, to make the switch somewhere when I realized and it, it took me very little time to realize that it was going to be one of those days. And Joe just chronicled that we, you know, right off the bat, they blitzed. They ran right over Taylor on the first third down. Then they started inside twist. They started three-man twist. And that's exactly right. They did, they did not care about rush lanes. They just kept coming yeah. every time they got the third down. So, you know, I would have been ready and would have probably made – 
the substitution to number two um, in that case. Now, in terms of the coaching, when you're in it, you know, we were always close enough maybe to not make it, but I just foresaw with that kind of pressure that it wasn't going to be a very good day. The scary thing is that if you don't make the move, it's such an indictment on your on your two on your two two number two A and number two B. It's just such an indictment. It's it, it's almost scary to me. A lot of chatter surrounding Jacob Eason and Brett Hundley, who was brought up off the practice squad on Saturday to the active roster. All right, that's after further review, a deep dive into some specific areas from Sunday's game down in Tennessee. When we come back, we're leaving plenty of time to take your questions, and there's a lot of them tonight, as you can imagine. Get them in on Twitter, hashtag Colts Roundtable. We'll dive into those when we come back with you until 7 o'clock tonight. Back in a moment here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. You're locked in to Colts Roundtable Live, a look at the latest action with the Indianapolis Colts. For more Colts talk, here's Matt Taylor, live from the Power Home Solar Radio Studio. We're back again here on Colts Roundtable Live, presented by Citizens Energy Group, proud as always to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. Tonight's show is also brought to you by Meyer, the official super center of the Colts, and proud sponsor of hundreds of local sports teams across the Midwest. And right now we're taking your Twitter questions. Send them in using hashtag Colts Roundtable. I'm Matt Taylor. On the line is Rick Venturi. Joe Wrights is along tonight as well. Uh, we've got a lot to get into. Let's go to Mac. Uh, he says, I truly feel if we don't get the roughing the punter call, we win the game. We had the momentum and we're about to get the ball back down by only one. They were tired and reeling at that point. That was a bonehead mistake. So a pretty... Hot take right there, Joe Wrights. Do you agree with the momentum that the Colts had and then gave back to the Titans, not only the momentum, but the field position as well? I agree with Mac. I felt like I mentioned it earlier in the show, we had our offensive identity starting to go on that first drive of the second half. 17 plays, eight and a half minutes, fourth and one, boom, six yards. Another fourth and one, boom, six yards. We're rolling in if Wentz takes a little bit of a squirt of mustard off that pass to Pittman. That's a touchdown, and the Colts take the lead. But regardless, the defense comes back out. They're fired up. Three and out. If you remember the punt, Hines had a nice return, and we're going to get the ball around the 35-yard line with, most importantly, a gas Tennessee defense, a fired-up offensive line, and a running back, Taylor, who gets better as the game goes on. And I felt like we were going to go down and get at minimum three points, hopefully seven, and really take control of the ball game. That's how I felt, and I was getting fired up watching the game because I knew that was going to happen. But Zaire Franklin roughing the punter. Now, even though we got the ball back on the turnover at the end of that drive, I feel like the fact that Tennessee went seven plays, 76 yards, grinded up some clock, took a lot of um, even longer clock of guys sitting there and getting rests on the Tennessee defense, that was a difference. And then we get the ball back on our own 18-yard line instead of the 35. And I think the rest that Tennessee's defense had, they were fired up and got new life. So I told her, football's a game of momentum. And a team like the Colts right now that are struggling in some key areas like red zone and third down, we can't afford to have those game-changing penalties. I felt like that was one yesterday afternoon. Yeah, I agree with Joan. I just wanted to add in one thing, because, Matt, you've been with me long enough. I always say there's three of the most critical spots in the game, the opening, the closing, and the roundabout. And I name it the roundabout. And, you know, the interesting thing 
is that we dominated 10 minutes around the roundabout. I mean, we forget, we go down and we kick the field goal before the half ends, which means we go in on a positive note. As Joe said, we come out on a very deliberate six-plus minutes, uh, you know, now – the unfortunate thing in both of those situations, we only get three, but we're still controlling the game. Then we get the huge three and out. That's 10 minutes at the roundabout that really is cold football. And so I don't think there's any question that the air went out of the balloon on that penalty. No doubt about that. Yeah, the Colts did such a good job starting the second half. 17-play drive, but got only three points out of it. And then that penalty happened on after they had that three and out on defense. All right, up next is Wes. He says, uh, we did a good job on Henry, but Rick, why can't we slow down simple schemes inside the red zone on defense? Well, first of all, you know, our, our coverage scheme in the red zone, I can't even explain it. And I and that, that was my specialty in the league. Um, you know, we play soft zones in the red zone. I, I've never heard of such a thing, really. And, and if I was the, you know, if I, if I was the GM, I'd have somebody's ass on this at some point. I mean, we go down there, and there's three passes that are all that we that we do nothing on. They go Chester Rogers right off the bat on Kenny. He gets up, typical Colt press. We get up, and he doesn't touch anybody. No help inside. Boom. Here's Chester Rogers. Now we're not talking about Raymond Barry. We're not talking about Jerry Rice. We're talking about Chester Rogers beats him unmolested to the goal line. The second one, we play a form of a cover two. Franklin runs up with the seam. Nobody takes the kid from Indiana, Ukinu. Nobody takes him coming in. He catches another unmolested smash route for a touchdown. And then the last one, I, I tell you what, if I'd have had a bucket, I'd have regurgitated. You got Okariki and you got Leonard on the 10 yard line. They got a speed trips to our right. They run the back out of the backfield. They literally watch him catch the ball and run in from the 10. You ought to be right up in his grill. I don't care what the coverage is. I mean, this is malpractice. We have given up nine touchdown passes this year, eight of which any technique in the world would have at least made it a good play. My gripe is we don't, we don't make them execute. We give it up, and that crap has got to stop. You know, have we lost to good teams? Yes, we have. Uh, Seattle is one and two, but we've lost to good teams. But you know what? We're not playing good football either. And that is ridiculous. That's eight touchdowns out of nine that with any technique at all could have been prevented. Well, and Coach, I agree with you and and not going to add too much more, but I felt like that pass there um, on third and 10 to McNichols broke our back. Because at that point, it's still – it's 14 to 13 – and we did a good job. You think they have first and goal at the 10, and now it's third and goal at the 10. And I honestly thought Tennessee, they were happy to kind of get out of there with a field goal, and we let him yeah. run that little out route and walk in and with, uh, with no resistance. And then the, the kicker was then they go for two, which I thought was a smart call by Vrabel to put into a two-score game. What was interesting to me, Coach, and curious your take, I feel like 10, 15 years ago, that would have been an automatic just kick the extra point and go up eight. But the influx of analytics, et cetera, when do you go? for two you go for two earlier that was something that I feel like maybe wouldn't have happened but I thought it was a good call and the right call because it put them up two scores yeah and it broke our back the eight points right there and like I said and you're when I'm in a red zone I'm worried about those first two downs when I got you third and ten I'm getting off you're going to kick a field goal and to just sit back and I've seen that over and over I mean how many red zone touchdowns have you seen 
where nobody catches the guy till the goal line. I mean, it's crazy. I just, I don't know. I, I mean, something's got to happen there. It, it really does. Yeah, I, I think, and, I, and again, it, it bears out the statistics, but I think you could sum it up by other teams' red zone looks easy when they're down there inside the goal line, and ours looks just really, really hard. You know yep. what I'm saying? From a 30,000-foot view, that's just kind of how it feels, you know, so far through three games. All right, that's our first Twitter mailbag segment tonight. We'll do it again coming up after this quick timeout. Send your questions in now and every Monday night using hashtag Colts Roundtable to interact with us here on the show. Rick Venturi, Joe Wright, I'm Matt Taylor. We're back in a moment here on Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We now return to Colts Roundtable Live. Once again, here's Matt Taylor from the Power Home Solar Radio Studio. We're back again here on Colts Roundtable Live, presented by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips right now at citizensenergygroup.com. Tonight's show is also brought to you by EverStream, Indy's business-only fiber network. Faster fiber, better business. And we're back again taking your Twitter questions now. Get them in using hashtag Colts Roundtable. Rick Venturi, Joe Wrights. I'm Matt Taylor tonight on Colts Roundtable Live here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, let's go to Tanner. Um, interesting thought here. We're 0-3 just like the Jets and the Jags, some of the worst teams in the NFL. I know we've played some good teams, but it's hard to decipher if we're a good team that's played better teams or if we belong with the bottom feeders in the NFL. Joe, food for thought right there. What do you think? Well, you know, Bill Parcells famously said, you are what your record are. And so, I mean, a record is, and the Colts are 0-3. But do I think we're better than the Jets and Jaguars? Absolutely. You know, and I think we played three really good teams. But bottom line, this is a zero-sum league, and you got to win football games. And the Colts, they just got to go on a run. They got to get hot. They got to figure things out. You play the Dolphins. It's going to be Jacoby Brissett. You know, he's going to be charged up playing the Colts, but you got to figure out a way to beat the Dolphins. And then I know you play at the Ravens and they're tough, but after that, I mean, four of your next five after that are Houston, Tennessee, the Jets, and Jacksonville at home. And if you can figure some things out, momentum in this league can get really, really quick. And I think the positive thing is there were some guys in this locker room that were on a team that started out one and five, made a run to the playoffs, won a playoff game. And so it's there, but it's got to turn around quick because 0-3 historically, almost no chance you get to the playoffs. But again, that number is going to be skewed because it's a 17-game season and not 16. All right, let's go to Grayson. Rick, uh, we're going to give this one to you. I know you talk about this during the game several times. It's a big point of emphasis for you. Uh, but Grayson has the same sort of uh, frequency on this thought. Why does every team we play bootleg against us with so much effectiveness because we play with terrible technique and we play like a pig with our a blind pig running around and, and I know uh, our staff gets so much credit for running to the ball and this loaf issue and all that as if nobody else runs to the ball but the thing you got to remember particularly on the edge okay <clears throat> you have to play with discipline on the edge you just can't run no matter what happens and chase rainbows. You have to have discipline. I used to tell those guys on the edge, you are a controlled assassin. Yes, you're an assassin, but you're a controlled assassin. When that ball goes away from you, starts away from you, you close the hole, but you close it with square shoulders so that you can pivot and what we call run the line on a bootleg. Our guys just simply take off and run across field Everybody knows it. Everybody, this is as bad as what I just talked about, the red zone, if not worse, because this has been happening 
for three years as well. And when you play a Russell Wilson, you play a Stafford, and then you come back with Tannehill, this is their game. I mean, do you not watch tape? I, I, I swear to God to you, do you not watch tape? Other than Henry running, what's the next best thing? It's Tannehill bootleg and play action, and to let that keep happening. We had a saying in coaching, you're either coaching that or you're letting it happen. And in either, in either sense, it is a disaster. Because really, two things cost the defense. That was Tannehill's movement. The 28-yard bootleg was a killer. And the red zone. We talked about both of them. Your, your guys who sent in your, your, your request, they're absolutely right. That was an absolute killer. And it's been there from the beginning. And I can't fathom why somebody's not accountable for that. I just can't. Well, Coach, to your point, I think our defense did do some good things. We got three turnovers, and we, we stopped Henry overall, I thought, and not let him get going. The hard part for me watching is like, you know, the Tannehill boots shouldn't be your first option. I think we did a good enough job against Henry to stop him from winning, but then unfortunately we let him out for three for 58. That's just one of those things you can't happen against um, somebody who that, that's not their primary focus when you do a good job on Henry like we did. No doubt about it. Got to get it cleaned up. Got to get it fixed. When we come back, we're going to close out the show and talk about how to fix things against the Miami Dolphins coming up this weekend, next Sunday in week number four as the Colts head back to the road. It's uh, number two out of three, three straight on the road for the Colts against the Fish on Sunday. We're back for that right after this. You're listening to Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back to Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. From the Power Home Solar Radio Studio, here's Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts. We're back here for the final time, segment number five on Colts Roundtable Live tonight, presented by Citizens Energy Group. Always proud to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. Tonight's show is also brought to you by Caesars, where all season long you can play our new predictive Pick six game presented by Caesar Sportsbook. Visit the Colts app every week before kickoff and click on pick six to submit your answers for a chance to win Colts prizes. Must be 21 to play. I'm Matt Taylor, Rick Venturi, and Joe Wrights here, a part of Colts Roundtable Live tonight. Taking a look at the AFC South standings through three games. The Titans are two and one, the Texans one and two, and the Colts and Jags tied for last place with uh, records of 0 and 3. And up next for the Colts. The Dolphins, they're one and two after falling to the Raiders on Sunday in overtime, 31 to 28. They overcame a two touchdown deficit to win, did the Raiders. Miami has now lost two in a row after that opening season win in week number one against New England. And former Colts quarterback Jacoby Brissett will likely get the start against the Colts with starter Tua Tonga Viola on IR. So, Joe, you've seen it all as a player. You've been through the highs, you've been through the lows. Um, you have a great perspective on things. How do you, as a player, stay up this week? How do you help the locker room make sure 0-3 doesn't turn into 0-4 and then really start to ruin the season? You do your job to the best of your ability. You don't try to do too much, and you don't try to be Superman. But again, you got to be critical of yourself. you got to get better from watching the tape, and you have to realize that it's going to take all 53 guys, coaches, staff, everybody in there. And I think going down to Miami, it's a very winnable game. Obviously, Jacoby Brissett is going to want to play well, but sometimes when you're playing your old team, that can hurt you And that if Jacoby wants to do too well, he might try to do too much and maybe he throws us a couple picks or gives the ball away. But bottom line, you're 0-3 and you're reeling. Nothing solves and nothing heals like 
like winning a football game. And before you can worry about winning two or three or four, you just got to win that first game. And it's got to be everything there. The kitchen sink, no matter what you got to do, you got to leave Miami at 4.05 Sunday afternoon with a win. You just have to if the Colts want to keep really their hopes and their dreams, what they thought this season could be. Just got to find a way to get it done. But that happens by doing your job the very best you can, not trying to do too much. Yep. All right, Rick, give us the skinny on the Dolphins, some of the early week uh, tape prep in terms of getting ready for Jacoby Brissett-led offense in Miami. Yeah, they were an overachieving team in 20. Uh, They've played two uh, very competitive games in which they won a close one and they lost the overtime game uh, Sunday at the buzzer, uh, an amazing five quarters. Uh, they were drilled by the Buffalo Bills, the rampaging Bills right now, 35 to zip. Uh, they're very much in transition on offense with Tua. They were an NCAA offense every play. Almost every play was an RPO or a zone read until third down. It was almost amazing. It was like, like watching a Saturday game. They've immediately made a transition. There's a little bit of that. But in the last six quarters and then when they had a week to get Jacoby ready, they really evolved into more of an NFL team with Gaskin at the running back. Now, they have good receivers. Their problem is offensive line is not worth a damn. This is, if you can't get pressure here, uh, then we're not going to get pressure all year. But they've got some guys now, Parker, uh, Waddle, the rookies, their leading receiver. They got Fuller back after two weeks who can go deep. Gazeki is one of the best hybrid tight ends in the league. So, I mean, there's weapons there on offense. And, and you know, Jacoby is what he is. He get great intangible guys, tough, all that. But he's a backup guy. That's what he is. And, you know, we got to take advantage of it. We'll get into when we do the Wednesday podcast, we'll get into strength and weaknesses and how to play him. Defensively, very unconventional. Uh, they base out of the 3-4. Flores is a Belichick disciple, so he plays a lot of people, a lot of different ratios. He's going to play you differently than maybe he played last week. you got to be alert for that, right. and you have to approach him in that sense. Um, their, their defensive numbers are much better than their offensive numbers, but they're not really greatly talented. I think the whole is greater than the parts. I'm with Joe. You've got to stay in your process right now. But you've got to come out of Miami with a win. If we can't beat Miami, okay, then we're in big trouble. No doubt about it. All right, that's all the time we have tonight on this installment of Colts Roundtable Live. My thanks to everybody on the show tonight. Frank Reich, Rick Venturi, Joe Wrights. If you miss any of it, it's going to be available right now. Colts.com, Colts mobile app, and anywhere else you download your podcast. Our producer is Kyle Udemark back in the studio. ESPN Radio is coming up next. I'm Matt Taylor. And again, we'll talk to you next Monday night recapping Colts and Dolphins. Hopefully a win for the Colts in week number four. We'll do that next Monday at 6 right here on Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.